Thank you. Um, I do pray that you uh, have opportunity to really consider and, and think about giving thanks. I, I have in my, my Bible, in, next to Psalm 100, which is a psalm about thanks, there's a little quote that I wrote down. Feeling gratitude and not expressing it is like wrapping a present and not giving it or buying a card and not sending it. And uh, I, I try to remember that, that uh, giving thanks, expressing thanks is in and of itself a great gift. Um, So if you're feeling it, towards someone, towards God, express that. Make sure that you don't just buy the card and think about someone or buy the present and think about someone and never give it. Give it and express it. Uh, This past week, uh, we looked at the gospel and we looked primarily at the gospel that we talked about that Jesus preached. And I wanted to stay on that because I think it's really important that we stay on this topic that the gospel that Jesus preached. I want to talk a little bit about the gospel that he lived because it has ramifications for here and hereafter and for the now and hereafter. Um, And do you remember my opening question last week? I said, what was it was, what was the gospel that Jesus himself proclaimed? That was, that was my question. What did Jesus say the gospel was? Because a lot of times I think we have understandings of the gospel that really um, follow into the New Testament um, letters, which are really important. The, obviously, the gospel around the cross, etc. But what I wanted to, as I was even thinking of this series, was to really talk about what was this gospel that Jesus himself was proclaiming that somehow got a hold of people's hearts and lives. So if you were here, you should be able to say it. I'm hoping. Anybody remember? Okay, well, we're going to go through this real quickly against, in fact, I'm going to preach that same message. No. Um, I, I want you to understand and see how consistent this was with Jesus. Because he begins, and we find in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, Mark gives a summary of what this gospel is that he had heard and that the apostles had heard again and again and again and again and themselves proclaimed. It says in chapter 1, verse 14 through 15, as he summarizes the message of Jesus, that Jesus, after John was put in prison, Jesus at that point began to start his ministry in a sense of his itinerant ministry. Um, But he went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And here's what it is. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news, which is what the gospel, the the word euangelion, the Greek word means, the good news. And and you'll find the same summary in in both Matthew and in Luke. In fact, if you continue on, and I'll I'll just kind of share with you, Jesus traveled around throughout Galilee and throughout that Judean area proclaiming this if you go to Luke chapter 8 verse 1 and it says after this Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another so here you see his role as an itinerant preacher and it says that he was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and, and, and then he takes those 12, and again, 12 having meaning. It was this idea of governmental authority. It would, rely, it would replay back to the 12 tribes of Israel, which were over Israel. So now these 12 tribes of a new Israel, in a sense. And he says these 12, he sends them out with one simple, single message as well. And it says... In chapter 9, just one chapter later, after this one we just read, in verses 1 and 2, when Jesus had called the twelve together, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. 
goes on and says, and heal the sick. Because there was this idea that when you proclaimed the kingdom, you also were giving evidence of the rule of this God. And one of the greatest evidences of his rule was that he could heal, that he could actually move and mend and, and, and go and heal, and not only physically, but he could feel, heal relationally, he could heal a person emotionally deep within. He could restore, as we talked about a little bit last week, the little kingdoms of each person, and the kingdoms that were relating to one another in a family, and the kingdoms that were relating to one another in a business or club or whatever it might be and so then jesus after he sends out the 12 we find in luke chapter 10 that he goes ahead and now he sends out 70 or 72 according to whatever your your um, your bible translation is there but it really all harkens back to um, genesis 10 where it talks about the table of nations it was then the then known world and so he takes these 70 and again he knows what he's doing he hears the 12 they represent the new israel the new kingdom coming through the church and now he says to the seven in a prophetic way I'm going to send you out ahead of me because the gospel is going to advance like that all throughout the world and so he sends them out and you can read in chapter um, 10 verse 1 it says this after the Lord appointed the 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of them in every town and place where he was about to go as an itinerant and he said heal the sick demonstrate this kingdom and tell them the kingdom of God is near to you. You find that in chapter, um, in verse 1, and, the, and he gives some instructions, and in verse 9, then he gives him the instructions of what they're to proclaim, which is the kingdom of God. And so I went through all that, and I went through it the res- after the resurrection, which Jesus one more time says to them about speaking the kingdom of God, we'll go with all the way through Acts. You find that Paul, once at the very end, the last two sentences in all of Acts, he's talking to people about the kingdom of God and teaching about Jesus Christ, who is the king. While he's in prison... He's making this incredible demonstration uh, of his faith and he's, he's doing it without hindrance or in, in all boldness because it wasn't that he was afraid to tell people about Jesus. He was in a place where he could easily lose his head because he was proclaiming the fact that Jesus was the new emperor of a new kingdom in the realm where the emperor lived. So what was the consistent message that Jesus proclaimed as the gospel? Kingdom of God. Okay, let's pray we're done. Thank you. (laughs) Now, what I want you to note, if this is what Jesus announced, but let me just say he announced it but failed to live it out, that would be a bummer in some ways, right? Maybe simply to say it this way, what if Jesus failed to practice what he was preaching? Uh, Um, One of the great frustrations of a preacher, not myself alone, but every preacher, if they're honest and they're truly going to be transparent, authentic, is that we have to admit that much of what we preach about, we don't necessarily always practice to perfection. Or at times even practice well. Like when the word of the Lord says in 1 Thessalonians as we come to a thanksgiving, be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all and every circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus, I just have a true confession to make to you. I don't always do that real well. Giving thanks in every and any circumstance, even though I know that's the will of God for me, I can proclaim it, I could exegete that, I could just put it out there so perfectly, and I 
I've tried to before, but I don't necessarily always live that well. Or take Psalm 34 when David says, wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you. That's a great verse, isn't it? I've preached on that. I've talked about that. I've explained that. But I have to share with you, patience is not my strong suit. Waiting is not always really easy for me. Anybody else struggle at all with waiting? I I have this thing within me that my timing, I kind of think is better than God's timing. Yeah, some of you laugh because you probably know what I mean. But my point is, true confessions is I can preach it, I can explain it, and I can tell you how wonderful it is. I can share all the things around it, but I don't necessarily always live up to it. Or, or take Ephesians 5, where Paul makes this statement, he makes a command, he says, Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I know this is going to rock your world, but I've got to confess, there's been a couple times in my marriage where I haven't lived up to that. That's a joke. And I said it because Grace is on vacation. She's away, and so I thought I could get away saying that. But you guys look at me like there was something true to that. I'm no different than anyone else here. But I want you to realize this, and here's something quite amazing. Never, Never once did Jesus have to share, as I have, these kind of true confessions. Not once. Jesus not only proclaimed the gospel good news, but every moment of every day of every year of his life, with every breath that he took, Jesus fully and completely lived out the very same thing he preached. Without sin. Perfectly. His life on earth was a demonstration of the very news he came announcing. He perfectly practiced what he preached. So here's the question I want us to consider when we talk about the gospel that Jesus himself proclaimed. It's really important that you grasp this. What did Jesus know about the nearness of the kingdom of God that he announced and the fact that it was good news that we may not know fully? And I don't want you to go back and retreat to, well, he was God in flesh, so not a problem. No, what he was announcing was good news for you and me. That in that good news, there was something you could know that allowed for you to live in such a way that you could experience the kingdom of God and its closeness throughout your life. And so the very first thing I just want to, maybe I'll just kind of share you, some of you um, maybe have more engineer minds or that kind of more analytical line or they go A, B, C, D. We're going to talk about the competency of God. We're going to talk about the care of God. We're going to talk about the closeness of God. Okay, that kind of will give you some direction. But the way I, I think is, is Jesus knew this God. He knew this God who is perfectly better than you can imagine. Beyond what you could ever imagine, he knew this God in his person and who he was was far greater than any of us could ever imagine. He came down from heaven with a picture of God etched into his soul. And it was that vision of who God was and the knowledge of who God was that was so clear in his heart and his soul in relationship to him that it had the ability, that vision, to guide him in all he did in every thought, every attitude, every action that he was a part of or that he expressed 
In fact, if you notice in Matthew chapter 5, which is interesting, it begins with the Beatitudes, and we're not going to go through all this because I'm just going to just hop on two spots, but after you go through, here's the character, here's the kind of person who is blessed. The very last Beatitude is interesting. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and Matthew uses heaven in line with God. We have a, a Difficulty again translating certain words because we, we think of heaven out there somewhere. Heaven is just being with God. It's where God is. That's why when people talk about, you know, I don't know if I want to, you know, you know, about hell and heaven. Hell is basically not wanting to be with God. You ever want to do something that maybe you even think of like when you were a kid and you, you wanted to do something and you, and you knew that your parents disapproved of it. You didn't really want to do that in front of them, Right? Being with them at that moment is not the best, so kind of moving away from where they are, out of their sight and out of their presence was what you want to do. He's basically saying, if you want to live the kind of life that is the heaven life, you're going to want to be with God, which is you're going to want to be like him in every way. And if you don't, and you really want to kind of rule it on your own, that's hell, that's away from God. So there is a real heaven and a real hell. And Jesus makes that clear. So, but that's not what this message is about. This is primarily about the fact of what he's telling us. So he tells us the kingdom of God. But if you go down to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, we're going to kind of pass through this real quickly. Because in these verses, it's the Lord's Prayer. It's really the prayer the Lord taught his disciples to pray. So really, it should be called the disciples' prayer. But he stops and he says to them, he says, here's the God who is perfectly better than you can imagine. When you go into conversation with God, when you enter into a relationship with God, this is the way you should approach God. And he begins by saying this, because Jesus knew this incredibly perfect God as his father. Our father in heart, our, who art in heaven. This, this idea, our father in heaven, literally daddy, good news, your dad is my dad. And you can know him personally. You can relate to him as a child to a father. You can call him dad. For some of you to call God dad or that intimate term is hard. And there may be all kinds of reasons for that. But you can if you had a good and a perfect father. The idea of being able to call him dad. And the fact that you can know his voice is what Jesus says. This is good news. And Jesus knew his father not only that way, but he knew him as perfect in every way and everything he did because of who he was as a person. So that at a certain point he says, not only our father who's in heaven, but he says, hallowed be his name, or may his name be honored. And the idea, he says, may his name be honored because he lived with this God who was so perfect and so incredible, who was his dad. And when he came down here, he said, man, I would love for you to honor my dad the way that he should be honored. If you only just knew who he was. You would honor him in that way. Dallas Willard writes in his book, Divine Conspiracy, he says, to trust in God, we need a rich and accurate way of thinking and speaking about him to guide and support our life, vision, and our will. That might be a little, um, I'll say it again, but it's really, these are great words. To trust in God, we need a rich and accurate way of thinking and speaking about him to guide and support our life, vision, and our will. And then he goes on and he makes this um, quote, this, uh, uh, this grand and carefully phrased words from a theologian from a century ago. His name is Adam Clark. And here's the God that Jesus knew. Now, this is going to feel like Shakespeare, 
So I'm going to ask you to think hard with me here for a second. Because this is theological talk, but I want you to stay with me because this is the picture of the God he knew. He was eternal, independent, and a self-existent being. Never been created, he was always there. The being whose purposes and actions spring from himself without a foreign motive or influence. Okay? So the things that come out of him are not in any way determined by anything outside of him. They all come out of his own will. And he who is absolute in dominion, there is no one higher over his reign and his rule and everything that is. The most pure, the most simple, the most spiritual of all essences. Infinitely perfect, eternally self-sufficient, Needs no one. Needing nothing that he has made. Illimitable, which means, I had to look it up as well, limitless or boundless. He is limitless or boundless, he says, in his immensity, his greatness. Inconceivable in his mode of existence and indescribable in his essence. Known fully only by himself because an infinite mind can only be fully comprehended by itself. Now catch this. In a word, he says, a being who from his infinite wisdom cannot err or be deceived. And from his infinite goodness can do nothing but what is eternally just and right and kind. Now that may be a bit dense, but this is what the perfect father was in the eyes of Jesus all the time. 24-7, he lived with the dad who he knew was like that. This was the father who he called dad, who, who he wanted to be honored, who constantly guided every thought, attitude, and action. And Jesus then makes another statement in this prayer. See, these are all focused on God and who he is. As we come to him. And then he says, Jesus also knew his father ruled well. Because if you go to verse 10, as he moves from saying, I would love you to be honored, Dad, I would love it also if what I experienced in heaven, that kingdom up there, and the will that you expressed so perfectly up there, would become a part of down here. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now last week I shared with you that the, this word kingdom of God. The idea is as we talk about the kingdom of God is here. He's making a statement. As again, we don't think about words like kingdom. A king. He's saying there is a king who has a kingdom. And the word kingdom is one that we struggle with. What is a kingdom? A kingdom is something that every one of us has. Because a kingdom is the place that you alone uniquely. You alone and uniquely what you say goes. Your kingdom in the sphere is that realm that is uniquely your own where your choice determines what happens. It's the place and space you personally rule over. It is, it is your will which you can extend and do things by. You can submit to others or you can exert it. I talked about that last week. Willard says it this way, Dallas Willard. Our kingdom is simply the range of effective will. Whatever we have say over is in our kingdom. So let's just say you're a CEO, a president, or something over a company. You have a 
a, a larger, broader sphere of a kingdom because you have your own personal kingdom, but because of that position, you also have a realm which can impact a whole lot of people's lives. In fact, if you're really good at it, you can set a vision and get a whole lot of little kingdoms moving in the same direction because it, it's all about what you as a, quote, king, in a sense, rule over, you help them move towards. And so he's saying, there's a king. Here's the good news. There's a king who has a kingdom who has created in such a way a lot of little kingdoms who can choose because of our will to do what we want to do. And here's the good news. This king, this CEO president of this kingdom that he has is available for people who want to enter into it. Does that make sense? The kingdom of God is his effective range of will. And yet, because he is a king who has made this world and made these little kingdoms for a period of time, he has allowed these little kingdoms to run on their own. And that's where sin gets in and mucks it all up. And so Jesus is coming and saying, there's this kingdom. Good news. The kingdom of my father, God, is here, is available for anyone who wants it. And my father who rules really, really well, who is the one I just told you about, whose dad who should be honored, who is the, 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 the God that Adam Clark explains that you maybe got a little bit of, is willing to extend his kingdom to you and to allow his will to flow through you. And his will is such that it always preserves your will and respects who you are as a person. This is good news in a land where kings never respected what others were doing. Once in a while, you would have a benevolent one. The kingdom of God is arranged and of his effective will. It's wherever his will is being done. It is the sphere in which everything that happens meets with God's approval and his delight. And everything is precisely the way that God wants it to be. So that he, he ruled completely and there was no sin here. This is what you can imagine. Imagine a society in which the kingdom of God was present where God rules. It would be heaven because God is here fully with his will extended. Imagine a society, as I said last week, where there's no arrogance, no big shots, no manipulation, no exploitation of power. Imagine a society of a whole group of people who have a spirit of servanthood and humility. Imagine if you could in your mind a society that is not petty or small-minded. There's no gossip, no cruelty, no deception, no cheats, no theft, no lying, no pretending. But imagine a society where there are people who show up transparently, vulnerable, honest, truthful, loving, and kind. I'm giving you a picture of what Jesus knew in heaven. And he's saying, here's the kind of society. Imagine a society where people are on the lookout for those who are lonely and rejected and isolated, discouraged, feeling unworthy and unloved. Imagine a society where those who are vulnerable or at risk or feel marginalized or are hurting or wounded, they feel loved, they're cared for, and they're actually attended to. And then Jesus, in a sense, would say, and imagine watching over all this as its greatest servant and most joyful inhabitant is the magnificent God and Father of Jesus who is endlessly celebrated for his endless love. And guess what? Jesus comes and says, good news. I don't even have to imagine that. I've experienced that. I want you to experience that. That's what he's saying to a whole group of people. I have come with this 
understanding of who God is as my dad, who I just really wanted to be, to be fully honored the way he should be. And I want you to know, his, as a king, his rule is so incredible that that's why he goes on in this prayer. It's really interesting in this prayer. He says, if our God is that incredibly competent, then you, you need to know this, because Jesus knew this, that then this God who he had left heaven in that place and was coming to this place, and, and think about Imagine what our society is like, right? Aren't we asking all the time, wasn't the last election a lot about who's really competent to create the kind of society that will be good for people? Well, that's really what leadership should be about. And Jesus is saying, that guy is here, he's competent. And not only that, he's competent to fully care for you. Right where you're at. With whatever you may be struggling with. He is so able and competent to care for you. That's why he says, when you pray to this competent, incredibly wonderful God who should be honored, who is really your dad. Here's the three things you can ask. Provision. Give me daily bread. The ability to live in relationship with people in this kingdom, not like the one up there, but this kingdom because of sin, who hurt one another and who betray one another and who cause, you know, sometimes we step on one another's toes. To live the way that you, Father in heaven, are living with people who want to understand their sinners and know that their sin need to be dealt with and come to you forgiveness and you liberally give it. So God, we would ask for provision and we would ask for the kind of relationships where there's forgiveness and mercy and grace. And, and we want to do that for others like you've done for us. And, and then God, you who are so competent, who can care for us, would you protect us? Because we live in a kingdom where these little kingdom rules are hurting one another and doing things. In fact, there's actually demonic spirits in this kingdom that incite people. And there are people in their own will, by their own will, choose to do things that are harmful and hurtful. Choose to actually set up traps to prey on older people in order to bilk them out of their money. Can you believe that? That's the kind of kingdom we live in. And he prays and he says, God, not only would you provide and would you protect us, would you, from those kind of temptations that are out there that can lay a trap to us. And, And this is what Jesus knew. This incredibly competent God who can care for us. And so he gives this kind of picture, and I think it's really interesting, because when you go through this, you begin to see that what Jesus does through his sermon here on the mountain, is he goes through this sermon, and he's talking about the kingdom of God all the time. He's explaining what the kingdom is like. At one point, after he has been sharing this competent God and what it means to have the right heart to live in this kingdom, he says to him, and he looks at him at one point, and he says, I want you to know that if you understand how competent your father is to care for you, there's a way that you can live. He says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, and I'll kind of paraphrase it. This is what he says. If you understand that this is the way your God is. In fact, I'm going to read to you these these words from Dallas Willard because I like what he has to say here. He says, with this magnificent God positioned among us, Jesus brings the assurance that our universe is perfectly safe place for us to be. So once you position this competent God... Where he is to be, Jesus brings this assurance that our universe is a perfectly safe place for us to be because we're under his competent care so that he could turn to people in Matthew 6, verse 25 and say, my advice is this to you, to everybody here, okay? I just want you all, here's what God's advice is to you today and through this week. My advice is not to worry about what's going to happen to you. 
Does that feel good? About what you will have to eat or drink, or about what clothes you'll wear. Your life doesn't consist of eating, and there's so much more to your body than clothing. And then Jesus says, take a lesson from the birds of heaven. They don't sow or reap or hoard away in granaries, and your Father, the one in the heavens around you, the kingdom of God is coming, he's near you, sees to it that you have food, and that they have food. And then he looks and he says, aren't you more important than those little birds? So don't worry about things, saying what are we going to eat or will we have anything to drink or what will we wear. People who don't know God at all do that. For your dad, your father, the one in the heavens all around you knows you need these things. Instead, here's what he says you should put your attention to. So give up on worry, he says, and make it your top priority to be a part of what God is doing and to have the kind of goodness he has. That's what it means to seek his kingdom and righteousness. Make it your top priority to start your day and go, okay, I don't need to worry about these different things. God, I'm going I'm to trust these and put these in your hands because I know that you're a perfectly competent God who can care for me and you can care for my concerns. And I'm going to make it my, my life today to see and understand what you're doing and to move into those places. And I'm going to seek to be good like you in those places. And then Jesus says, and if you do those things, everything else you need will be provided as well. And then he kind of ends and he says, let me sum it up. What about tomorrow? Don't worry about it. You can do your worrying about tomorrow, tomorrow. And then I think with a twinkle in his eye, he looks out at them and he says, and anyway, enough will happen today to keep you worried until bedtime. So put your trust in me. This kingdom that Jesus pronounced and proclaimed about this competent God who can competently care for us was one that he perfectly lived out. Can you imagine not worrying? Can you imagine not living rushed and hurried? Can you imagine trusting that in any and every situation you face, your heavenly dad's going to provide for you? That he's going to lead you? That he's going to guide you? That he's going to be patient with you in every, and he's going to protect you in every and any situation? Do you believe that right now? I really want you not to just, just to hear a bunch of words right now. I want you to stop and in your heart, do you live with a God who's that competent? Do you know a God that competent so that it is a safe place for you right now to, to actually live in his care? Can you imagine Jesus living in such a way that it did not matter what others thought about him because he was so aware of what his heavenly dad felt for him. Can you imagine always knowing in your soul that by your, your heavenly dad you're loved to the core of who you are? Even if you've blown it. In fact, 
what Jesus does is he lives us out. He calls people into this presence of this competent and caring God. And what he demonstrates with his life is how incredible this love is. That even with your sin and your guilt and your shame that separates you from him, he actually lives out, dies on a cross, on that cross to demonstrate the greatness of God's love that he says he will through his life and his love and through the work that he did cover your own sin. So that it's not a matter of you trying to care. He is so competent to care for you. It's not a matter now of you trying to do a whole bunch of good things and work in such a way to get into his presence. It's a matter of trust what he has done for you and will do for you as he competently cares for you. Not only for your sin, but for every need in your life. Now I've got to share with you, some of you know that and you understand it and living in it is a constant um, learning process of developing faith and some of you have done that and have grown in that and some of you are in the first stages of it and you're starting to walk into this. The incredible gospel of Jesus Christ is that this competent God is able to care for you even through his life and death on a cross for your sin and your guilt and everything else. But this is the kingdom that he said has come that he invites us to live in. And he invites us to invite other people into. Because there's a lot of people who don't know this competent, loving God who could care for their hearts and their souls. There's a lot of people who are still out there thinking that somehow that because of their guilt, there's this God who's angry and mad who's going to try and he's just going to obliterate me. He's not mad at them. He wants to deal with their sins so they can begin to walk into the fullness of God's love. I I remember I, I got a... I wanted a dog really bad a number of years ago when my kids were about five and three. And my wife was from a farm, and you know what? You don't have dogs inside. Anybody understand that mindset, which I just don't get, you know, because I was from the suburbs, and dogs got to live inside. Um, and so we got a dog. She agreed, and our kids are five and three. I convinced her how important animals are to have. And uh, we bring this dog in. It's about six months old, so it's potty trained and everything else. It's a little Sheltie, named Shelby, and it nips and all this other stuff. And I was so excited to have this dog, but here's one thing that was really interesting about this dog. Somehow, whoever its master was, the male, not the female and the kids, but the male, must have been somewhat um, mean or possibly even abusive dog. I don't know. All I know is that when I would call the dog, it would not come to me scared to death of me, loved my kids, loved my wife. I was the one who wanted the dog. I was ready to say, you're out of here, Shelby. For some reason, this dog was afraid of me, didn't understand me, didn't know me. And I would call that dog and it wouldn't come. And one day, we're in our family room and and the kids are playing with the dog and I called the dog and my daughter, I think it was my three-year-old, starts running towards me when I'm calling the dog and the dog, knowing her, feeling safe, runs with her and gets about so far away and I rode up to reach my hand and the dog pulls back. I thought, aha, I wonder if I do that again, the dog will get closer if I don't reach out. So I kept doing it. And eventually the dog got right here. And when the dog was right here playing with it, at one point, when she didn't know it, I reached out and sort of pet its head and looked up at me. And over a period of time, I began to teach that dog that I'm not that bad of a guy. And eventually that dog would come to me and was really close to me. 
Here's what's so interesting. We are living in a culture, there are people out there who have no understanding of God. They don't understand this gospel kingdom of a king who is so competent, who is so good, who is, who is not bound by anything outside of himself, but is just ruled by his love and his goodness, his fairness, his rightness. And he wants to come to earth where all these little kingdoms are messed up And he does through Jesus, and Jesus makes an announcement and says, guess what, there is a father who loves you, who will, through me, will actually just watch my life. I'll die for you. That's how much his love is for you. He doesn't want your sin even to separate you from him. There are people out there that God is working in their lives. It's not where you just go out and you try and just get everything. You pray and you say, God, where are the people out there whose hearts hunger for you? They are like maybe that dog who doesn't understand. They're just afraid. They're like Jesus coming to a whole group of people. People, it says in the word of God, who are prostitutes and tax collectors. There were people who were, quote, sinners. People who didn't have an understanding of this God because they only saw the religious leaders who in their pride somehow thought that through their own good works and through their own name were blessed by God and he goes no he came and he said you guys who are trying to make it in your own pride in your own selfishness you're trying to make it on your own it isn't going to happen that way there is a God who loves you and there are people out there and you need to begin to pray by the power of the Holy Spirit God who are the people around me that are like that dog who are afraid to come how can I through my life through my prayer begin to help them take steps closer so they can begin to know a real loving father who will forgive them of their sins and will give them life eternal and I'm not saying just life out there I'm talking about what he talks about here a God who begins to introduce into you his kingdom so that you begin to rule well your own life as you begin to be obedient because Jesus says every command of mine is that will of the father and will move through you and if you begin to walk with him, I can, I, I can promise you as a husband or a wife or a father or a mother or a leader of a business or a person who is involved in, in teaching other children or whatever it may be, that God, as you allow his rule to rule through you, his good, this king who is competent to care for you and to care for others, He will. It's not about a politician, folks. It's not about a political system. It's about God working the lives of people who are committed to the kingdom of God, the king who rules through you, through his love. That's what changes people's lives in the world. And I got so excited about these first two points, I didn't talk about the closeness which is probably one of my favorite when I was on my sabbatical. I started praying this prayer. Um, My dad, who's in the air, all about me, loving me. I'm just going to talk briefly about the closeness, and and you're going to have to, I could give you scriptural understanding on all this. The word heaven is an incredibly word. The reason he says it draws near We often think our Father who's in heaven, we think of the God who rules, and we think of ruling, we think of him being way out there somewhere up there. That's not the case, folks. There is a realm that God lives all around us. That's why Jesus says it's at hand. It's right here. God is around you all the time. God is present. He has his extended will, but you have to invite that will in. And so what he's saying to people, here's what's really important to know. This God who you didn't realize was this competent king who can competently care for you, 
has made it possible for you to enter in because his God is right next to you all the time. In fact, as you invite him in, he lives through you. But you need to understand that this God, the, the distinct being God, is right here. In the, right in the air. In fact, if you, you read, it says in Genesis, it talks about the angel came and spoke um, from heaven. He's not going, and now Hagar. It's God right here speaking to her or impressing his thoughts upon her heart. He is right here. And what Jesus wanted them to know is this simple truth that this God who is competent has the ability to competently care for you and he's close. He's right here. He's with you everywhere you go. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we kind of move into this Thanksgiving week. I'm going to ask... uh, I shared with the team, I didn't know where it was going to end until we prayed up here. And I just sensed the Lord say, have people stand. And, and what I think he wants me to do is for you to bow your head. And as I share some things, I just want you to move to a place of, of gratefulness, okay? Would you just, with your head bowed and your heart open... I want you to know that this God is far better than you could ever imagine. He is your dad. He's perfect. And he's competent to care for what's on your heart right now. And in a spirit of thanksgiving and gratefulness, I I just want you to bring that to him and say, God, thank you. What is in my heart right now, maybe it's a concern about one of your kids, or maybe it's concern about your job, or maybe you're in a new position, you're trying to figure that out, or maybe you're concerned about finances. God is right next to you in the air, so to speak. As close as the air that you breathe, you can breathe in, uh, just like you breathe in oxygen, you can right now breathe in the presence of God in this situation. So I'm going to ask you to allow God to just enter into that place. And whatever you've been holding, would you just put it in his hands? He is he's your dad who is competent to care for whatever it is that's on your heart. And as you put it in his, his hands, would you just tell him thank you? Thank you, I give it to you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to celebrate Thanksgiving this year. You may be afraid of family and all the political nonsense. But you're going to say, God, I'm putting this in your hands. And I'm not saying that God's going to do all these things perfectly. He's going to probably teach you through things. But as you put it in his hands, he will begin to guide your will to help you in whatever circumstance you're in right now. And there's two other things I want to share with you. If you were at all touched by just the the reality of the fact that there are people around you who need to know this father... Would you ask the Spirit of God, say, God, would you guide me, lead me, put a name in my, my mind, it, or, or whatever it is, God, would you um, make, make me a kingdom like Jesus that seeks to bring someone closer to the Father? for some of you who are still dealing with shame and guilt and your sin 
and you're thinking there's no way. Get, you know what? It's only your pride that will keep you from Jesus right now. It's only your inability to trust and believe that this Jesus who died on the cross loved you so much. That, what else could he give you? He has paid for your sin. He has paid for it with his love. And he wants to be present with you right now. So if you're in that place and you're saying, I can't, would you, you need to maybe forgive yourself. To say, um, God, I forgive myself. And then say, God, come in and by the blood of Jesus, I ask your forgiveness to remove my guilt and my shame and my sin. And now enter into the life that flows through you. This competent King and Father who cares for you. Father, we thank you.